Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. In this episode, episode 26, we will take you through our own checklist. We talked about what checklist is in the previous episode. Let's do a quick recap of what it is. A checklist is, is, a, is a list of questions that people use to evaluate a company, whether if it's a good investment for you or not. Um, this has been popularized, as we said in the last episode, popularized by uh, a well-known value investor, Guy Spear, on his book, The Education of a Value Investor. But this checklist, the concept of checklist has been used um, over and over again, I'm sure, in, uh, in, in previous to his time and, and now, still today, in, in many different uh, investment uh, houses and, and investment professionals. So let's dive into our own checklist. Um, I just want to, before we go into the checklist, let's do a let's let's just go over the high level uh, bullet points. Uh, we read we read out to you guys in this last episode uh, this quote from Warren Buffett himself in his letter to his shareholder in 1977, and there's a paragraph in that in that letter that talks about basically his mental checklist, what he goes through before he makes an investment. And it, uh, and, and it outlines largely four concepts that is f- so critical. So let's just reiterate that. One, do you understand, can we understand the business? Two, is it, is the company, does the company have a favorable long-term prospects? In other words, does it have a competitive advantage? Number three, is it operated by honest and competent people? And number four, is it available at an attractive price? So those are the four elements that Warren Buffett outlines in his letter to his shareholders in 1977. And we will take that and break it down into sub-questions um, that sort of addresses those questions collectively. So let's start with number one, question number one. Uh, do we understand the business? So Hari... In our checklist, what questions are beneath that that umbrella question that we usually use to analyze a company? Yeah, so we, we usually start with um, <clears throat> the first question is, what does the company do? Mm-hmm. Right, and so, and I, I have the caveat in there, you should be able to answer this question in less than two sentences. Mm-hmm. Right, so if, if you find yourself having to write a bunch of stuff, it probably means that it's too complex or that you're not able to concisely, you know, say what the company does, right? And that may be, that's okay. But I mean, it is not a reflection of your ability if you can't understand some a business, right? I mean, we all associate that with intelligence and things like that. Warren Buffett will be the first person to tell you there are lots of businesses he doesn't understand and therefore doesn't invest in, right? This is not a reflection of who you are. It you know it but it is a reflection of you know where you are in you know in in the world in terms of if you're in healthcare you'll understand healthcare businesses if you're in technology you may understand tech businesses um so there's some b- industries that are just more amenable for people to understand and then there are others that are just more complex right or some of these may actually be geographically lo- you know uh, restricted so you know if you live in um, the South and a business only operates in the South, you may be more familiar with that business mm. as opposed to living in the North. You may not have any idea what this business does. Sure. So those kind of things are really important to understand. Yeah. So 
What does the company do, yeah. and and how can you summarize that fairly quickly? Yeah, I think that that point is very important. The, the your limitation to less than two sentences, or you know, very concise uh, aspect of it, because um, from my experience, going th- analyzing big conglomerate businesses, there's so many different branches, so many different subsidiaries. So yeah. it's really hard to summarize. Like for example, what does GE do? GE does several things, right? And to evaluate a company like that is very, very difficult. And maybe you know that's that's a that's a flag right there that maybe you should stop and and move on to the next one, perhaps. Yeah, and I I think when when you start having to consolidate this, right? When you first start out, you should not be investing in complex things like conglomerates and stuff like that. Simply for the fact is that. They're harder to understand, right? Absolutely. You're not you're basically analyzing four, five, six companies yeah. in one, yep. right? And then, but they all have merged financials and merged, you know, you know, but and they have one CEO and all of this stuff. That's complicated, that's right? And complicated. and so that's not something you want to, you know, why beat your head against the wall, you know, when you do that? It's better to start with something where you can really sink your teeth into it, something you're familiar with, and you really understand it. Yeah. And then go through the exercise and and find all of the things that you you don't understand and yeah. and start learning those. Maybe maybe this is a good place to ask this question to you. Where do you where where did you start to our listeners? You know, where where did you start personally that you really found interesting and easy to understand? So uh, I, I know retail for example is Yeah, one. retail is is was by far the easiest for me to understand um you know, so, you know, I started when I was 18, 19 years old. And, you know, the fact of the matter is when you're that young, you don't really know anything. So you've never actually worked, you know, in a real job and understand the real, you know, the real world. So um, that's a good place to start. You know, retail. Co- you know, retail like companies like Home Depot or Lowe's or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, Best Buy, right. Amazon. To some extent, Amazon is almost like a conglomerate at this point. Yep. Um, and you know, those, those kind of businesses are fairly easy to understand. Um, one of the disadvantages is that they don't have a real moat, right? I mean, most of them don't have a a real moat. And so those are kind of things that you have to start thinking about is, uh, you know, there are certain sectors, there are certain areas, but I would start with, if you work in a certain industry, you know, look at your own company, look at companies, competitors in your industry. Um, and then, you know, if there are products and services that you use frequently, start that. And so yeah. this, these ideas are all where Peter Lynch yeah. kind of uh, emphasizes, you know, um, and for those of you who haven't read his book, um, One Up on Wall Street and Beat the Street, uh, both of them are fantastic uh, reads. But the caveat to that is it's not just because you see a lot of people in the store or you, you know the business well. That doesn't mean you just say, okay, here's all my money you know, shut up and take my money, right? It's not, that's not how that works. You do the analysis at that point yeah. and then you go through the checklist. So, um, yeah. So again, just, to just, just the first sentence, first question here, you know, what do you understand the business? The first question, the checklist, um, you, you know, you started with retail when you were younger and, you know, because it's easy to understand. And, you know, Peter, Peter Lynch talks about the companies that you, frequently use uh, for example if you're into starbucks every day if you get starbucks maybe it's time for you to maybe look at starbucks yeah um so those are those are kind of good places to start because because it checks off the first check first question do you right. understand the business right 
Um, so let's move on from there. You briefly mentioned, you know, retail doesn't, you know, doesn't have a competitive advantage, doesn't have a moat. So let's move on to that question. That, you know, that exact question is, you know, does it have a favorable long-term prospect? Does it have a competitive advantage for it to sustain a long-term a growth prospect? Yeah, so I think we talked about this. We did an entire episode on competitive advantage early on, right? Yep. And so we talked about those various aspects of what are competitive advantages, right? And so, you know, the first one that you start with is, you know, you think about is brand, right? So I always use my classic example is Disney, right? The Disney brand is everything to parents, right? If Disney blesses it, it's usually good. I can safe, you know, it's safe to say that my kids can watch it. Um, and so that a brand has carries a lot of a price premium with it, right? So if a brand is only valuable, uh, you know, from an investment perspective, if it carries with it a price premium or it is a lure for shoppers, you know, or for, you know, people will put their money preferably into that brand over another, right? Um, so I think of Coke versus Pepsi, you know, Pepsi is disgusting. I only buy Coke products, right? Um, and that, that is a, that is a very important part of the brand concept, right? Is, you know, if the brand, cause the price of Coke and Pepsi is roughly the same, you know, um, can Coke charge a premium? For me, they could, right? I, you know, I think they could. Um, but brand, we're really, you know, you know, what you have to look, think about is, you know, Shell Oil Company versus Exxon, right? Most people don't really care where they put their gas in, right? Sure. They're, but they're two very well-recognized brands, right? So why you would invest in or put your put gas in your car from Shell versus Exxon, yeah, they have some loyalty cards and things like that to you know, give you discounts and stuff like that. So if you shop at one place versus another, but for the most part, you know, their gas stations don't really have command any brand, uh, loyalty, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So just to kind of recap that, um, bread is, you know, one of the many ways that companies can attain competitive advantage. And we talked about, like Harry said, we talked about list, there's a, Many different ways that a company can attain a competitive advantage, one being brand. And competitive advantage is important to answer the ultimate question of does it have a favorable long-term prospect? You know, that's the ultimate question. And a way to get there is to have a competitive advantage. And so this question, does the, comp does, the, does the business have a competitive advantage? That's, you know, the first question to answer bullet point number two. And you just go through that, go through the list of competitive, possible competitive advantages and say yes, no, yes, no. So the first one being brand. Um, should we move on to the next, uh, next competitive advantage, network effect? Yeah, so this one is a uh, network effects really is, applies, you know, the example that, you know, would be good to think about is maybe Facebook or eBay. So why do you join Facebook? Because your friends are on Facebook. Well, so... You know, there are a lot of people who have that mentality is that, you know, Facebook has a lot of, you know, the feature set on Facebook is not necessarily something that's hard to create. I mean, they obviously have solved a, a very complex problem in terms of scale and things like that. But their real advantage is not their technology. It's their, the fact that there are a lot of people signed up on there. So then other people sign up to be on that network, right? And that's called a network effect is think of it with eBay 
right? Shoppers are not going to buy on eBay if there are no sellers, right? So you have to get the sellers. Well, the sellers aren't going to come there unless there are buyers, right? And so the way that they did that was, you know, they incentivized people with, you know, free benefits and stuff like that. They got a mix of people and they started slowly taking those benefits away. And now they have this vibrant ecosystem where you can buy just about anything, right? So network effects are, you bring people to the table because there are other people, you know, already at the table and it and as the network grows you know it it uh has an almost an exponential effect right right um yeah net, network effect you know i think a lot of social media companies rely on network effect for their competitive advantage for yeah. sure uh let's move on to the next one so we we talked about brand the next one we talked about was network effect the third thing here is switching cost so we talked about this in the episode pre- previously where we talked about competitive advantage um, switching costs. Tell us about that, Harry. Yeah, so switching cost is, you know, if if you use a product or service and it is very difficult for you to switch to a competitor, right? So you kind of stick with one and you lock into it. Um, you know, the, I think a good example of that would be like Quicken. Um, so a lot of small businesses, small and medium-sized businesses use Quicken to do their Tarbo. accounting yeah. and so forth. And what they find is that there are other competing products that have a lot of the features that Quicken does. Maybe not all of them, but Quicken charges a premium price for what they they offer. But people stick with it because they can't take their data off of Quicken and move it to somewhere else. Because a lot of their businesses business aspects run through that Quicken service, and they they attach their you know Quicken. Um, account to other areas so that they can do their taxes and they can do other things with it. Right. So, you know, it has this, you know, it's very difficult to move from Quicken to, you know, some other service. You know, I, people may not remember Microsoft Money was a big competitive product uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago to Quicken, and you could do your budgets and all that stuff there. And now you don't hear about Microsoft Money anymore <laughs> because Quicken basically had the market. Right. right. Yeah. So uh, switching costs. Switching cost is you know another good example is also banks, right? People, banks basically provide us the same service as everybody else. Yep. You don't switch your bank every three months because somebody has a better interest rate. You sure. stay with them for three, four, or five years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Next one. Let's move on uh, to the next one. Low cost provider. Um, I think this was a this is a good one to talk about. Yeah. So this low cost provider is my favorite moat for a lot of different reasons. One of those is that, um, so let, let, you know, what does it mean actually? So low cost provider is somebody who can provide a service or good cheaper than their competitors, right? And it is a very powerful moat because if you're able to provide your service, if you have a commo- in a commodity business, that is the only way that you can succeed in a commodity business is to be able to provide your service for cheaper than your competitor. So if you want to think about an oil and gas services business, and I'm throwing this example out not knowing anything about it, that may be why it's a terrible example, but uh, if I am able to pump oil out of the ground at $20 a barrel, that's my cost, and my competitor is able to do it at $50 a barrel, well... I have a much higher profit margin then, right? That's sure. obviously a good thing. But what it does is, let's say that the price of oil drops below $50 a barrel. That means I am the king of barter town at that point, right? My 
competitors will all go out of business or not be able to you know compete in the marketplace and i can take a huge chunk of the the market share right so in a competitive market <clears throat> right all businesses operate in a competitive market if you think about <clears throat> um grocery stores for example like um you know we have a kroger um you know here in houston we have three main grocery stores kroger a uh, H-E-B and then a Safeway, which, you know, Safeway owns Randall's. Randall's. Um, and so Randall's is kind of getting squeezed out of uh, of Houston. You know, they've shut down some stores and I think they're planning to shut down, you know, more. Um, and, you know, part of the reason for that is H-E-B has a very strong moat uh, in Houston and they are, their Hill Country Fair, you know, store brand is very popular. Well, it's also the lower cost, you know, you know they're a low-cost provider in in the in Texas, um, and so they're able to get you know better uh, pricing and and you know that kind of thing. So they're more competitive than than um, than Randall's is. Randall's has a very high you know you know they're they're more of like a luxury grocery store in some ways. So, but you know low-cost provider another great example of that is Walmart. You know Walmart really tries to lower the prices of their goods and they squeeze their suppliers to get better pricing out of them um, and then they pass on the savings to their customers so uh, Walmart you know everybody wins in the in the Walmart world right it, the the people who are buying from Walmart the Walmart the com- company wins um, and actually their suppliers are able to sell more because they're you know selling it a uh, you know there's a higher you know demand there right so low cost, low cost provider, um, very very important mode to have for yep. for commodity business like oil, for example, or Walmart is a good example in retail. Um, so that was low cost provider. Let's move on to the last um, last competitive advantage we have on our on our checklist, and certainly there could be more uh, intangible assets. Um, tell us about that, please. Yeah, so intangible assets are things like patents or um, um, you know, trademarks, things that are protecting your business. Um, <clears throat> so the where the place that you would see this is um, in healthcare. Drug companies will have a patent on a drug to right. be able to sell it, and that essentially gives them a government-sponsored monopoly to sell a certain good. Yep. Now, <clears throat> that isn't doesn't guarantee that the market wants to buy your good, right? Just because you have an exclusive to it. Sure. Um, you know, there there may be you may have a, um, a heartburn drug and have a you know a monopoly on this particular chemical formula, and your competitor may have another heartburn drug that is more effective than yours, right? So your patent on your heartburn drug doesn't necessarily translate into profit. So right. you should be very careful about using these intangible assets because they have to all and and true for all of these things. They have to actually translate into sales for your company. Sure. Absolutely. So those were the few things, the five competitive advantages that we have on our checklist to answer this question of, does your business, does the business have a competitive advantage? And please do check out our episode on competitive advantage because we go into much more detail on those, on those, uh, on this, in this topic. So that's the first question in the second bullet point of, you know, does does the company have a favorable long-term prospect? So let's move on to the next question in this bucket of questions here. 
So next question is, how durable is the competitive advantage? Oh, by the way, before we move on to this question, just to, just to clarify this point, a company can have multiple competitive advantage also. So, you know, a company can have a brand and an intangible asset. Yeah. Uh, competitive advantage. Or a low cost and a brand. Um, just, just, to, just to let you guys know. Okay, and the next question, how durable is the competitive advantage? And what are the risks to the current competitive advantage? So, you know, this is part of that long-term prospects uh, question, right? Is is asking, you know, if you think about um, Walmart, right? 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people were not questioning whether Walmart would be dominant, right? Now the question is, is Walmart going to survive, you know, the onslaught from Amazon, right? right? And so, you know, these competitive advantages, you know, how protected are they? And how, how could they be breached, right? And so this is going back to our topic that we talked about, which is inverting your thesis and looking back and saying, being skeptical about how successful they are. Because when you read an annual report, they will try and tell you their advantages. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they are real and sometimes they're not. And so you have to look at them critically and kind of say, is it real? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. The... This is, no, I, mean, I think this is a really good question because a lot of times, a lot of times I'll identify a moat and then just believe that and not question that. Right. But it's so important to question that and po try to poke holes into it. And this, this is a question that kind of does that. So for example, I think we can go through a quick example, perhaps, you know, is, let's say, is Walmart, Walmart's competitive advantage being of, of being the low cost provider, is it breachable? So can can other companies do better? You know, can other companies create a system where logistically they're more efficient? They're cutting out extra that thin margin. Like can 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 they can they achieve that? So you know, I think you can start with thinking about it from the perspective of let's not even include Amazon right now. Just think about they had Sam's, which is this wholesale warehouse kind of model. Right. Um, where you could buy in bulk, you pay for a membership fee. Well, so Costco came and, you know, is beating them at yeah. that, right? And so they started with <clears throat> um, the same idea, but they had a financial structure and deals with suppliers where they were more competitive. And, you know, I actually prefer Sam's to Costco. You know, I'm I'm one of the few, like, people who think that way because they have more variety than Costco does. But most people have, you know, they're willing to put up with less variety for more, you know, uh, more discounts, right? Yeah. So Sam's is more expensive, but Costco provides a better price to them. Right. You know, so, you know, when you start thinking about it like that, there's, there are a lot of things that you can go down. So like for Walmart's case, you know, a lot of people used to go to Walmart to pick up a bunch of stuff. You know, they'd get their groceries and they'd go pick up their, you know, um, toiletries and you know they maybe they needed to pick up some bath towels or something like that right so they could do a one-stop shopping well now a lot of that stuff happens on at amazon okay. right and so people are buying a bunch of stuff on amazon um so walmart somewhat late to the game started doing e-commerce yep. right and then they they've started buying up e-commerce stores to kind of help them compete in the amazon world yep. so you know amazon is succeeding obviously they're doing very well walmart is still doing very well yep. right i mean they're not it's not like they're hurting for money yep. um and so and maybe there is just room for two two players in this space sure 
Um, but it, what it what it may mean is that other competitors, you know, some of the grocery stores may be getting squeezed. You know, some of the niche retailers may be getting squeezed out of the marketplace. So um, you really have to start thinking about it. Where is it? What is their place in the world? Which is Walmart is going to always serve, um, you know, the the lower socioeconomic spectrum because their pricing is very competitive and, you know, not everybody can afford the Amazon Prime, sure. you know, fee. Yep. So Walmart, I think, you know, their shot across the bow was free two-day shipping on an, any order above $35, right, or $25, whatever the number. Walmart, yeah, 35 I think. $35. Yeah. So, um, and they have, an, they have an enormous, you know, infrastructure already in place that Amazon is still building out to be able to ship to your door, yeah. right? So, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of things there. and I mean, in just two minutes, we kind of walk <laughs> through a fairly complex thing. Yeah. So, But that's what you'd have to do, right, is how do you protect Walmart's competitive advantage? And if I'm the competitor, how do I breach Walmart's competitive advantage? Exactly. And just being able to, di- being able to take all that and, and synthesize that information into, into some sort of conclusion there to, to, to arrive at some, some sort of conclusion of, okay, does this compa- does does the company that you're analyzing does it can it can can the competitive advantage be sustainable uh, and 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 withstand the attack from competitors to breach that moat so that that mental exercise is very important and that's the second question in the second bucket of questions to answer answer the ultimate question of does the comp- does the company have favorable long-term prospect let's move on to the next question this is you know, just continuing down the discussion of competitive advantage. Um, what is the company's long-term prospects and runway for growth? I think, so really, what is the, you know, how big is the pie? How can, how can the company get more of the pie? Is the pie growing itself? That's the, that's the question here. Yeah, and I think the, you know, the, if you're early on in a company's world, right? You know, in, when Walmart first started, there was only very few national retailers, right? Yep. They were mostly state by state. So they started with like two or three stores and then they went public. Yeah. They started in rural town. Yeah. And so yeah. what they said is their market is thousands of stores all across the nation, right? So their runway for growth was enormous, right? They they had this model worked out where it was working very successfully. Now you could question whether or not it would work in you know what worked in Arkansas would that also work in Oregon right but you know so that long-term prospects are how you know you know and then what are the competitors that could come and unseat the the horse there yeah right so the idea here is that you know in like a, for example a tech company tech companies get disrupted all the time with newer technology better technology faster technology cheaper technology so you know what was popular 10 years ago, gets disrupted much more frequently than in in the non-tech sector world. Sure. So <clears throat> you can say like what is Facebook's prospects long-term prospects for growth? Well, I would argue I mean they have 2 billion users already, right? There's only 5 or 6 billion people in the world right now. Most of those people are they going to sign up for Facebook? I think there are a lot of people who are, you know, you know, so it's very hard for me to say what's going to be Facebook in 5 years. You know, whereas I think Walmart will still be around selling goods, and Facebook probably will be still around. Sure. But will it be the same company it is today? Yeah, and I, I, think, I don't know. Yeah, I mean to that point, I think you know I think um, good comparison could be 
you know, like a, a company that we analyzed yesterday, for example, uh, in the in the meetup, the car car industry, for example, we talk about Chrysler, Fiat Chrysler. You know, it are it's already selling you know thousand many millions of cars around the world. How much growth is there for this company? Yeah. Versus, let's say a small, I don't know, um, small like uh, like online banking, for example, or or uh, or live streaming industry, for example, esports industry as a, as a whole. Right. You see, I mean, we're talking about there's two different. It's very very different. And even by mentioning esports and 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 car, there's something in your brain that that tells you, oh yeah. Esports, it's a new thing, and retail—you know—you've seen it around around the block, and so that's that's here. That's what we're talking about in this question for this question. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next question in this bucket. Does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business? I think this is a really good, really really important question. And the follow-up to that question is: Can it grow without any further investment? So basically, restating the first question. But I think this question is very, very important. And Hari, take it away. <clears throat> so I, I think um, I, I actually think these are two separate questions. It's not just a, a simple restatement. But let let me kind of explain. Okay. So if you look at companies like the car industry, right? Uh, Fiat Chrysler, if they want to make a car. Right. I mean, they have to design an entire plant around like one or two specific cars that they're making. Yeah. Right. That takes a lot of money to do that. Right. And then once you build that plant, you have to continue to make reinvestment into the plant to mis maintain it. Right. So when we talk about that, what that money comes from is your profits. Right. The profits are where you use that. You take that money from your profits to and then plow it back into the company. So there are businesses out there that, like car manufacturers, where they have to take a significant chunk of their profits and reinvest it just to maintain their business, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but and you know that may actually keep the comp maybe in in and of itself a competitive advantage, right? That there's a high cost of capital to just start into this industry. Yeah, that's a good, right? good point. Um, but what that also means is that you may be as an investor may not be seeing the returns that you would like to because they're having to reinvest everything every dollar back into the business right mm -hmm. um now can it grow without any further reinvestment and the reason i s separated that question out is if you think about tech companies right that if i run if i'm making microsoft office right i ship a i write the code to make the 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 application and then I'm shipping CDs to my customers, right? The cost of the CD and the packaging is like a dollar or two dollars, right? Not very expensive, right? So my fixed cost is it costs a million dollars to make the first one, and then the second one costs a few pennies, right? And the second through the next billion cost a few pennies, right? But I'm still selling it for the same price. With, If I can grow without reinvestment, that is a very, very awesome business to be in for a lot of different reasons, right? Mm -hmm. That that business allows me to just plow my money back in or, or keep all of my profits without having to reinvest it. So mm -hmm. that's that's why you want to think about that one, you know, as a separate entity, right? Can I can I grow quickly without having to put because I can then extract the money and pay dividends and things like that. Yeah. So that's the third question, fourth question. Um, let's move on to the next question in this bucket. Does the business have favorable relationships with the following? Customers, suppliers, employees, regulators, communities. So so that so this question, 
Can you uh, elaborate on this one, please? Yeah, so the idea here is to make sure that there isn't something that will disrupt the business, right? Um, you know, if they don't have a good relationship with their customers, you know, obviously the customers are who pay for stuff, right? Yeah. But if you have a hostile relationship, is that going to affect the business, right? Sometimes your suppliers may be disrupted because of tariffs. They may be disrupted because they're in China and they, you know, their government is, you know, you know, limiting the sales of, uh, of the items to you. Um, same thing as employees, right? You know, Fiat, Chrysler, and other car companies have unions that they have to deal with. And the unions could say, we don't want to, we're going to go on strike. Yep. And when they go on strike, it may be a huge disruption to your business, right? Yep. So really what you're looking at when you answer these questions, and I think the best way to, is to actually see us, you know, do it in a real company, is what you're trying to understand is what is going to ruin my business, right? You know, do I have these relationships that are protected? You know, you know, if, if, if the answer is that, you know, yeah, they have good relationships, but they could go sour. Well, then you have to be a little more cautious, right? Yeah. About, about that. And, you know, um, regulated businesses are one that you have to be really careful about, like healthcare. You know, if you offer a medical device that Medicare is paying for, and then one day Medicare says, well, well, we'll pay you, but it'll be 20% of what we were paying you before. Well, then suddenly your revenue just gets cut and, you know, cut by 80%. So that's not, you know, no good. So you want to be able to answer these questions because this is how you can disrupt your own moat, right? Yep. Is by losing these, you know, relationships. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes answering these questions can be very difficult. Like how do you you know how do you assess the relationship between the business and customers, business and suppliers, and employees and regulators communities? Sometimes it is difficult, so it it takes a little bit more you know internet gymnastics to you know, poke you know try to go to different websites to to understand you know, what what is the community and and one of the things that I want that I often look at is one of those gla Glassdoor yeah. is a good one that I look at sometimes. And there are different, you know, news news articles that talks about strikes and things like that. You could look at that also, aside from obviously the 10K right. that's available for you. Well, let's move on to the next question. I think this is this should be this should be the final question uh, for this bucket of questions here. Is the company able to translate its moat into high returns on capital? Take so, it away, please. Yeah. So this is really really important, right? So we've talked about this throughout the discussion so far is the only thing that matters is if you own a business is how much profit you can get from the business, right? That's what investors care about. If I have a moat that is a good brand and people love it and stuff like that, but I am losing money on every deal, right? So think about Uber, right? You know, Uber is not publicly traded, but... Um, People love the service because they're able to go, you know, I don't have to worry about parking. I don't have to worry about this. But every ride is still being subsidized by their investors, right? They're not able to make a profit. Now, maybe that changes in the future. I don't know. Yep. Um, but the important thing to understand is I have to be able to generate a profit, right? And if I can't generate a profit or if I can generate a profit, is it? as high as another company, right? And this is how you start determining, I found two good companies. One has a return on capital of 20% and one has a return on capital of 10%. Well, the one with a higher, you know, if I invest a dollar in the into the business, I get 20 cents versus a dollar gives me 10. 
It's a no-brainer, yeah. right? And so this is where it really matters is, is this moat actually matter to the company? Like, yeah. they may have a good brand, they may have network effects, but they still don't make money, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. I think this question, like you said, is so important. Can you translate... I'm going to just reiterate the question because I think the question is well-written here. Is the company able to translate its moat into high returns on capital? So is the company able to translate its intrinsic competitive advantage into dollars effectively right and if you can't do that then you got to move on to the next one yeah and this is again going back to our, our discussion about um an opportunity cost if you can find if you can find a, com- a company with a returns on capital of 40 percent versus like you said uh 10 or 20 percent to 10 percent you know you're obviously going to go with the 20 percent the higher one and so this 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 is really really important to uh answer for yourself to to answer the ultimate question of does the company have a favorable long-term prospects we covered a lot of grounds here today um let me just do a quick overview of what we talked about here so the first question again let's just go back to the four large buckets number one is do you understand the business number two does the company have a favorable long-term prospect number three operate by honest and competent people number four available at an attractive price so out of those four questions, we we didn't get to three and four. We'll cover that in the next episode. One and two, we covered, do you understand the business? Number two, does the company have a favorable long-term prospects? And to get to those questions, we, have a, we, we covered a series of questions that answer those questions ultimately. And uh, the question number one, do you understand the business? You know, we, we talked about limiting yourself to less than two sentences. Um, you know, you got to be able to understand and deliver uh, uh, d- describe the, the company in less than two sentences um, if you can't and then you might want to move on to the next to a different company to analyze and probably is probably is too uh, complex for you to analyze if you can't answer this question in two sentences then the next question competitive advantage we went through a list of them brand network effect all the way down to intangible assets um, and then we cover the question of how durable is your competitive advantage? What are the risks associated with the the current competitive advantage? We talked about the long-term prospects, the different marketplace. We talked about the car company versus, let's say, e-stream, e-sports. And then, and then lastly, we talked about um, the relationships and the high risk, high returns on capital. So there's a it's a lot there, and I do want to point this out. You know, if you guys would like a actual you know printout of this. Um, Please email us or send us a tweet. We'll, we, we'd be happy to send you guys a PDF of, of our checklist so you can have it. And maybe for the next episode, you could uh, listen to our podcast with, with, this, uh, with this in front of you because it certainly helps, uh, helps you to kind of have, have an outline when, when we're talking about the, this stuff. So email us at info at valueinvestor.org or tweet us. The handle is Value Investor TV. Uh, make sure you do that. Um, in the next episode, we will talk about the the last two questions: Is the company op- operated by honest and competent people? And the fourth question: Is it available at an attractive price? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about those two questions in the coming episode. Anything else you want to add here in this episode, Tori? No. Uh, you know, I think I think we covered it, and we'll we'll be going through it more and in a month or so we'll start talking about real companies and using the checklist so if there are concepts you don't get 
you know, don't worry, you can, you know, we'll be covering it over and over again going forward. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you all for joining us on this episode, episode 26. We will see you on the next episode. Thank you all. All right. Thanks. Thank you.